This episode of the podcast is sponsored by Hold True Tattoo Studios. The new studio is now open in Hamilton, and if you're interested in getting any tattoo work done or discussing any designs, please contact the chief artist, Brian Bell. You can find Hold True Tattoo Studios on Instagram and on Facebook, so if you're at all interested, please check them out. Good morning, Hello. Lily. How are you? Good, how are you? Not bad, not bad. Uh, tried to rush about and get organised this morning, but uh, was excited about coming on to, to chat to you. How's things? Brilliant. Yeah, really good, thanks. Just um, just finished my group programme on Friday there, so I kind of feel things are going to be hopefully a little bit calmer for the next week yeah. or so. Um, but yeah, good going. Brilliant. Listen, uh, Thank you so much for coming on. It's been it's been very martial arts based the podcast, which was initially the was initially the idea, but I really want to start to expand it now. And obviously, I contacted you a couple of months back, and we managed to get get this date organised because I, I want to expand it now and incorporate a lot more health issues and experts like yourself. So uh, I'm so chuffed that you. That you're on which is really oh, no, good. I'm delighted thanks for having me and like it makes it makes sense doesn't it if somebody who's very physically active um that they're doing everything everything they can to support their body's nutritional needs and their recovery and their energy um and gut health plays a part in that as well so yeah that's brilliant the gut health so what I'd love to do is uh, let you introduce yourself I always, you, I've, I've got this thing of introducing people and missing lots of things out that I intended to say. So you're nobody's more of an expert on you than you. So if you can start by telling us a wee bit about yourself and the, the work that you do, and then we'll, we'll go from there. Okay, so um, my name's Mary Cotter. I run Stellar Health. I'm a nutritional therapist and I help people identify what's at the heart of their gut health issues quickly and effectively so they can basically find the freedom to love life again because often you know they become afraid of food and their diet becomes really restricted and then uh they you know they they aren't they've tried all the diets and all the approaches so my job is to help them pinpoint what the underlying issue is come up with a clear plan of action and get them back to feeling like themselves again um, and I've been a nutritionist since uh, 2013. I used to be an interior designer before that. I worked in commercial interiors. Um, I, like, I soon realized that that wasn't my passion. Um, and I became interested in nutrition initially because of my own health problems. And... Um, Basically, I kind of I experienced a urinary tract infection, which usually, you know, you would take some antibiotics and everything would be fine. Yep. But this time, for some reason, um, you know, the antibiotics didn't work and I had terrible symptoms, awful lot of chronic pain. But the doctors kept saying that there was no infection there. And I'd all all the investigations done. And unfortunately, they you know, there was nothing else they could do. And that's kind of when I first started looking into how I could help myself and how nutrition and what I'm actually putting into my body plays a role in how I feel and how we can recover. Um, and I, I, was, I was living in Australia at the time and I met, I decided to contact a a naturopath in Australia so a naturopath kind of covers nutrition and herbal remedies and um it's kind of a holistic approach mm. um and she just kind of removed a lot of the fear that I'd kind of read on google when I was trying to self-diagnose and put a lot of stuff in perspective came up with a plan of action and, you know, it, it wasn't overnight, it took months, but I was in a much better mental state uh, having met her and 
um, taken on board a lot of the dietary changes and it just made sense. And I was like, wow, it really had such an, a, an amazing transformational um, effect on my outlook on everything that I was like, right, like if we go back to the UK, um, that's it, I'm going to retrain and that's what I'm going to do. And that's, that's what I did. But then we, we did move back and then three years later, um, I qualified so um, I kind of feel most I, I'd imagine most nutritionists have some sort of um, life-changing experience yeah I, I often hear that that's kind of how people get into this um, but yeah do you find that uh, just as you were talking there about uh, the holistic sort of treatment or the holistic outlook I, I'm I think that I'm I'm right into this sort of thing. Uh, I'm currently observing Ramadan, so I'm doing a lot of fasting at the moment, which I want to talk to you about later as well. Uh, and just because I think that all of this stuff's good or interesting, I always make the mistake of assuming that everyone else does. But then, and again, I'm looking for your opinion here. Do, I think that we're still in the minority. And obviously by doing podcasts like this, we're hoping to widen sort of horizons, I guess. But medicine and health, I feel, is still very old-fashioned. Uh, is that, am I right there? Or have you found that too? That Yeah, I, I, I tend to forget that not everybody has investigated nutrition or um, herbal support or anything. Like, I think even just my own family, like, I mean, my mother was very supportive, but I don't really think they really knew what I was doing or really understood it. And I often presume my friends are into it because we're all on Instagram and like most of my feed are people like Dr. Chatterjee or wellness experts. Yep. And I forget that actually my friends, their, their list is probably, I don't know, makeup and hair or like, I, that's a total generalization, but it, oh, it, okay. wouldn't, it wouldn't necessarily be wellness experts. And it's very easy to just forget that not everybody is yeah. so interested or inspired by it, but they just maybe haven't had an opportunity to discover it yet because luckily for them, they've been in the best of health. And it's really only until things start to go wrong that people kind of look inwards and actually, oh my God, what am I putting in my body? Um, because it influences energy, your mood, you know, mental well-being is huge right now and people kind of almost forget to put two and two together. And yeah, like you said, I think awareness is growing. Um, social media probably does help to a, to a, to a, to a, a, a stage. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I just forgot my words there. Right, but, um, yeah, I think it is changing slowly but surely. But yeah, you're right. I think um, mainstream medicine, you know, their job is to use medicine and pharmaceuticals and that's brilliant but it doesn't always work you know um you kind of we're all unique and we all really benefit from personalized um nutrition and personal personalized well-being approaches to just you know everything really i think especially with what's been going on over the last year the the nhs and Again, not, you've obviously had experience in places like Australia, for example, but the NHS is just such a wonderful institution. I don't think that's in any doubt at all. I don't think anybody would disagree with that. Yeah, Our general, uh, the, the, the health services that we have are wonderful when things go wrong. And as a society, we, 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 we don't have, we don't have a, a, an idea yet that there's lots of preventative stuff we can do to, before we get to that stage. Now, if I were to have a heart attack or a stroke or cancer, any of these horrific things, our NHS is wonderful, but there still isn't enough out there about how we can uh, prevent ill health, I don't think. And that's from a government level all the way, all the way down. It's limited. Like, I mean, you know, public health campaigns about eating five a day and stuff I'm not really sure how much of that sinks in um 
it's a starting point, but you're right. Like the NHS is brilliant for life-saving emergency stuff, but when you're dealing with a chronic health condition, they don't have the resources. Um, and that's really where I feel people can get support from nutrition or, you know, other like um, meditation, mindfulness, all that stuff, because often it is lifestyle. It's not, you know, in my case, it wasn't any infection. It was um, kind of lingering inflammation. So it was just chronic. Yeah. And, you know, my options were take anti-inflammatories forever, but they weren't really doing any, I wasn't experiencing much of a benefit. And I decided I was going to look more at how everything is interconnected. So my stress, what I was eating, my work-life balance, um, movement, all those things. And that's different to what like the NHS offers. So there's definitely absolutely a place for both. And that's so important to get across as well, that it doesn't have to be one or the other. They complement each other. So, you know, you have the best of both worlds then. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, one of the things I want to talk to you about separately is the link between uh, gut health and mental health. So we can put that aside because I think you might mention this when I ask you the, the next thing I'm going to ask about, but I, I want to focus on that uh, as an individual sort of subject. But the first thing I want to sort of really talk about is people say gut health. Now, which part of the body in particular does, does that cover? Yeah. Not just the tummy, I would assume. Yeah, so I think, you know, when we talk about gut health, we're predominantly talking about the the large intestine. Um, your stomach is higher up here, and then you've the small intestine and the large intestine. And in the large intestine is where the vast majority of the gut bacteria and their genetic material live. And that collectively is called the gut microbiome. So when we talk about eat this because it's good for your gut, we're predominantly meaning it supports that environment in your large intestine. And that regulates so many things. You know, a huge chunk of your immune system is in the large intestine. Um, you know, your ability to pass a healthy stool, they re help regulate that. They help you make vitamins. They help you absorb nutrients from your food. And they protect the lining of that gut barrier so the good bacteria in there help protect the lining of the gut barrier and they prevent pathogenic bacteria adhering to the gut wall so they regulate inflammation as well that way you, you might have heard like good bacteria and bad bacteria yeah. which yeah, yeah. is very like sim simplified way of explaining it what you want like all of us carry um parasites and bacteria and yeasts and they should live in harmony what you don't want are the bacteria that have the ability to become pathogenic to take up too much real estate okay. so you want to feed the good guys so they're dominating yep. and the guys that potentially could turn nasty are kept kind of under control okay. and okay. that way then they all live in harmony that's a good no listen that's a brilliant way of explaining that uh, how how effective are probiotics in 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 I, I nearly used the word medicines there. I don't know if they would come under that category, but uh, I was I was sort of right into them for a while, and I've came I've came away from them. And again, there's so many. It's like everything nowadays. There's so many articles saying this is the way to go, 100%. And then you read another article and it says, well, your body should be doing this on its own. What about probiotics? How, how do they work? And should yeah. they be taking them? So probiotic capsules, yeah. supplements, or they contain live bacteria. Um, and when you consume those, they are passing through your digestive system. They confer, like once they pass through your large intestine, um, they are then doing the work of, you know, supporting bowel uh, motility and reducing inflammation and regulating a lot of stuff. Um, but ultimately they are just passing through and they're going to be excreted through your stool. Yeah. But what you can do is to encourage them to hang around a bit longer is eat 
prebiotics, which is their preferred fuel. Um, so what I would, what I generally say to clients is if they have a chronic gut issue or a health issue that requires or would benefit from kind of targeted approach. So let's say they have IBS, irritable bowel syndrome, and they, have fl they fluctuate between constipation and diarrhea. Then we might use bifidobacteria and acidophilus in pill form because the research supports their use for regulating bowel motility. We would work on improving their diet meanwhile in the background. And let's say after three months, they'll be in a much better, stronger digestion space. And then they might be like, you know what? I can eat fermented foods and probiotic foods now. I don't need the supplement anymore. Yeah. Um, so initially for a targeted effect, they're brilliant because some people won't handle fermented foods very well because they're quite strong, yep, but yep. the pills are targeted. You know how much bacteria is going in there and which strains. Um, and there's, that's the thing as well. People kind of, you know, different probiotic supplements target different parts of the body. So some are great for the gut. Some are great for the bladder. Some are really good for vaginal health. Like there's, um, it can be quite targeted and people I think don't realize that always. And they're like, oh, I tried that, it didn't work. But it's like, mm, did you did you try the right strain or the right one for you? So um, does that answer your question? Yeah, yeah, no, it does. Uh, but it then leads to another question. And that's why these conversations are brilliant rather than just having a set list of questions. So. The probiotics, the it's not about replacing missing probiotics. They they help along the way, and then as you say, they, they pass through. So again, th this is what I'm thinking at the moment. I've been on since the pandemic started, and the research started coming out for uh, the the benefits of vitamin D mm -hmm. for your immune system and for particularly combating not just sort of prevent you from getting COVID, but if you did catch it, you'd be in a much better place. Now, for a year, I've been taking between, let's call it four and 6,000 IU a day of vitamin D and recent blood work I got, and I was just within the sufficient level on how they had, they had set this out. So I'm thinking, I'm not outside too often, but I've been taking between four and six IU a day. Now, on the packaging of vitamin D, it suggests you take one tablet. So I've been taking five or six, and I have noticed a change in the blood work, but it's now up to just being sufficient with, with all of that additional input. So, it, well, am I... How far behind am I there? And, and talking about what we're talking about, how far behind is this positive uh, bacterial situation in our bodies? That do we need to be taking this stuff? And, and is it sticking around, or is it just passing? Is it just passing through? So vitamin D supplements. I think there's a question in there somewhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So maybe I think your question is like you were taking four to 6,000 IU a day, which was more than what was on the label. And yet you were barely kind of hitting sufficient levels. So first yeah. of all, why is that? So everybody's absorption rate will vary because yet again, we're all unique and potentially your bacteria may have something to do with that, but certainly it's a fat soluble vitamin, right? So mm -hmm your ability to absorb that will be influenced by your ability to absorb fat from your food. So digestive enzymes and pancreatic enzymes are produced to help you absorb fats, carbs, and proteins from your food. And depending on your stress level, some people's pancreatic enzyme levels are lower than others. So if you're wondering why it takes you so long to absorb vitamin D from a supplement, maybe look at your pancreatic enzyme level because if it's deficient, you won't be absorbing fats and fat soluble vitamins so well. And an indicator of that is often, and this is a bit graphic, so apologies, but if, if the stool is very greasy or fatty or it 
you get marks on the bowl of the toilet. Yeah. It's a sign you're not mopping up your fats as well as you should be. Fats shouldn't be coming out in the stool. You want to absorb it because that means you're absorbing fat soluble vitamins. Yeah. So but perhaps that's why it took your body so long to absorb the vitamin yeah. D supplement. If you're relying on sunshine and you're going out and you're trying to get vitamin D that way, which is also very important. We're in the wrong place, but. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, there are a few factors there. Also is your age, um, the color of your skin. So the darker yeah. your skin, the more time you need to spend outside and where you are in the world. So for example, if you live in London, um, it'll be easier to get vitamin D than if you're in Edinburgh or Glasgow because we're further away from the equator and the angle of the sun is different. There's a free app actually called um, D-Minder, um, which tells you what time of day based on where you are in the world, yep. you need to be outside and for how long. And you can enter like the color of your skin and your age and that kind of thing. That's quite helpful as well. Um, so in Scotland, it's between 12 noon and five past 12. That's <laughs> what then, is it? It's quite surprising because I'm kind of like, that can't be true. It was like, on was it at the weekend I had a look and it was saying that between 12 minutes past one and I think it was half three, okay. it was an overcast day and it was saying that if I was out at that time, I would make so much vitamin D because I, you know, we often think, oh, if it's overcast, we're not going to get any but also in Scotland I find winters can you can have these beautiful clear blue skies and sunny days in the middle of January yeah but you know you can't make vitamin d then because it's dependent on the angle of the sun so it really where we're where we are in Scotland it's only for the six months of the year during summertime which we all know like <laughs> variable isn't it <laughs> yep. the 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 link between gut health and, and, and mental health if, if we can move on to that now uh, already you've, you've you're, you're just throwing amazing sort of facts and knowledge at us so I might double back uh, later on if, if things start popping out of my head but <clears throat> again that's something that I'm a, <clears throat> excuse me that I'm aware of but I don't maybe I'm doing a disservice to people as well in general but I, I from what I can see, people still don't fully understand that there's a huge link between what's happening up here and what's happening in, in, in the gut. So uh, again, over to you. Uh, like an, a classic example of the gut and the brain communicating is just having that kind of butterflies in your stomach sensation, which, you know, in, in your intestines again, you have all these, it, like it has its own nervous system. It's called the enteric nervous system. There's more neurons in there than there are in the spine. So those nerves then send messages back and forth to the brain about um, like how, how, how you feel. And if your gut is inflamed or leaky or you've got IBS, then potentially that communication is going to be interrupted um and the other way the gut and the brain so they so those messages go along the vagus nerve and the vagus nerve is the nerve that's in charge of rest and digest so calming the nervous system down so if you're very stressed or anxious making some changes to support vagal nerve tone is quite helpful um and reducing inflammation in the gut is going to be helpful supporting the health of the lining of the gut so it's nice and strong and it's not leaky don't know if you've heard of a leaky gut I've, I've wrote leaky gut down because i was introduced to leaky gut or i was uh you you actually spoke about this at one of the yoga revived days and i've noted that down so carry on don't, okay. uh, we'll okay. come back to that because the way you explained it was excellent and if you can share that with us Again, yeah. today, that would be great. So 
vagal tone. So the vagal nerve is one way of relaying messages between the gut and the brain. And the other way is the gut bacteria in your large intestine are involved in making chemical messengers. So you might've heard of the word serotonin, the happy hormone, that's the neurotransmitter that's made predominantly in your gut. And then it's like wireless communication. Like the messages are sent wirelessly from the gut and the brain. Um, so looking after that gut environment will support the health of those messages that are sent to the brain and vice versa. Um, and scientists, like this is still relatively new because, you know, scientists are still kind of, I suppose up until recently, we were of the impression that serotonin was made in the brain and that's yeah. what, you know, a lot of antidepressant medications target, which is brilliant. So it's quite exciting that, you know, scientists are looking more closely at how the gut microbes communicate with the brain. And it's the research is showing that they're using this vagus nerve to send messages. So that's like your old fashioned telephone wired in communication. And then these neurotransmitters are able to send wireless communication back and forth as well. Um, and this, the state of your gut is going to be key to how that is communicated. Okay, so I'm, I'm trying to note things down like crazy here. Uh, you said you, you actually went back and, and, and spoke a little bit more about that, but when you said about the serotonin creation in the gut, I was like, really? Uh, because again, not having the education on it, I was only aware that it was something that happened up here so uh, is there anything else you can tell us about that because that's brand new to me and obviously very very interesting so to make serotonin I suppose things that would be helpful there um, basically when you're eating protein it contains tryptophan an amino acid and that's broken down with the help of b6 vitamin c uh, to make serotonin um, and that serotonin actually goes on to make melatonin the sleep hormone. So again, sleep is really important as well. Um, your gut bacteria, so eating the pre and probiotic rich foods, considering a supplement if needed, they would also help um, support the balance of serotonin in the gut. Um, what else? about that mm. there's, there's, uh, the I don't know do, do you do, do you follow uh, Rhonda Patrick at all no I don't but, but Dr Rhonda Patrick is a guest that Joe Rogan has on his podcast quite often and uh, he always advises people to have a notebook ready when they're listening to that particular podcast and a uh, yeah, listen, as I say, the information you've already given there is wonderful. So that was the reason why I was making the link there was just that I think I might put a, a, a little note on the podcast notes to say, have a notebook and pen ready because there's so much great information that you're, you're, you're giving us here. So for people interested in the kind of gut brain connection, like a good somebody to look up as well, there's um, a professor, John Cryan who they do a lot of research in in Cork actually um but they, they do an awful lot of research on the gut brain connection and the use of like they call it psychobiotics which is using specific strains of probiotics as yeah. like affecting the brain um so like youtube videos there's lots of presentations and nice ted talks um by him and some of his colleagues from the university who explain it in actually like quite nice layman terms as well yeah. well worth looking that up as well Brilliant. just i had that layman's terms in my head just as you said it there so what, what we're saying is that uh we kind of know absolutely now that well i'll allow you to say that but uh if things like low mood possibly anxiety possibly depression things like that might be 
at the very least being compounded by problems in your gut and it isn't all just uh, sort of brain issues it's, it's actual gut issues as well absolutely yeah so definitely both of those so you would support the brain as well so omega-3 and good fats for the brain because your brain is predominantly fat so we want to feed it the right fat to keep it nice and healthy and sharp especially as we age um the other thing i would definitely want to touch on though is just what you're eating over the course of the day and this maybe you're fasting at the moment and for some people fasting can be really helpful and for others it can make them feel really chittery and anxious heart palpitations because if you if you're sensitive to fluctuations in your blood sugar when you fast your blood sugar is going to drop mm-hmm. and depending on your genetic makeup and whatever else some people will experience lightheadedness um it becomes much harder to focus and concentrate yep. um, they become hangry you know that kind of hungry and angry yep. um, that's a, a clear indication your blood sugar is way too low and you need to eat something to get that back up so what many of us do is we're really busy so do you know what i'm just going to grab a coffee and that's going to tie me over to lunch well coffee is a stimulant it's going to put you on high alert so now you're pumping out even more cortisol even more adrenaline and you're getting those heart palpitations you're feeling really jittery your blood pressure is going up um it's a terrible place to be if you're prone to anxiety or mood disorders so we need to make sure those people with those symptoms are eating at least three meals a day you want to combine protein with fiber at each meal and if you need a snack, have a snack. It's going to help balance your blood sugar. But look at the quality of the snack. It's a brilliant opportunity to get protein and fiber in. It's going to keep your energy, your mood, your stress hormones way more stable and calmer. Um, yeah. What? Okay. Again, let's say uh, let's put the fasting to one side. I definitely want to come back to that because anybody listening to this who knows me. Uh, you've just described (laughs) (laughs) just described so apologies to everybody uh, that listens or watches the show who who personally knows me about being snappy being hangry all of these things over the last the last few days Uh, but I'll explain a wee bit deeper uh, and we can have a wee conversation about that but let's jump back again to the leaky gut Mm. so we hear people saying that all the time but what does having a leaky gut actually mean so imagine the lining of your your gut and the cells that line that should be really tightly densely packed together and um your immune system is sitting on the other side of this gut barrier and it's like yeah your gluten your dairy we recognize you, you're safe, you can be absorbed um, and everything is fine. But when we have leaky gut, usually because we've been really stressed or we've been unwell, we've had to have medications, we drink a lot a lot of alcohol, we love to party, things get disrupted. Um, and then we're maybe not making the same amount of enzymes and saliva. We're not producing enough stomach acid because we're really stressed. Um, So when gluten and pasta and dairy reaches the gut wall, they haven't been broken down properly. The immune system is then saying, oh, we don't really recognize you. You're way too big to be gluten or dairy you're you're not coming in so we're going to launch an inflammatory response to deal with you which then appears as symptoms like brain fog or inflamed joints or skin reactions or weird tummy problems that the doctors find very hard to pinpoint and it's then labeled ibs so bloating gassiness um sluggishness um and the lining these cells have now become leaky there's gaps in them so while the immune system is trying to stop gluten and dairy being absorbed because they think it's an invader no matter it it doesn't work because now there's leaks in the lining of the gut wall and they'll filter through into the bloodstream anyway that drives inflammation so 
my job as a nutritionist, my role, I should say, as a nutritionist is help people to temporarily remove irritants like gluten and dairy temporarily. That's going to help bring down some inflammation. But then we're going to look at, you know, where digestion starts in your mouth. So are you sitting, are you chewing properly? Are you relaxed when you're eating? Are you producing enough saliva? What's your stomach acid like? Have you been on omeprazole for 20 years? Antiacid blocking drugs that will interfere with your ability to digest food properly. Um, We're then going to look at the lining of the gut wall. We're gonna put in foods that support the repair of those leaks. So things like um, stewed apple, bone broth, collagen, um, glutamine. There's, you know, different things that are helpful for that. Um, And then once we've done that, we're going to look at probiotic foods because they're going to then support this healthy lining and hopefully keep it strong and healthy so that you don't end up with multiple weird digestive symptoms yet again. It's quite hard to explain without a diagram. I often kind of draw a picture to describe it. So I hope that makes sense. No, no, it's, uh, yeah, I'm certainly following on, yep, for sure. Uh, Just, it's so, it's such a subject that people just pick food up, don't they? And they eat and then they they don't think about it again. (laughs) And it's, it's, it's so... It's such a complicated subject and it's such an interesting subject as well. Uh, two things that came up there was uh, imoprazole. imoprazole. Uh, now, I know people that regularly take that as a medication uh, and I've actually taken it myself in the past. What effect does... So if you can clarify what imoprazole is being prescribed for in general circumstances, is... Is that a good or a bad thing for our, for our gut health as a medication in, in general? So, I mean, like sometimes it's unavoidable. Like omeprazole will protect your stomach if you're on other medication. Yeah. Um, so sometimes it absolutely is, you know, essential. And obviously do not ne- like never come off medication without speaking to your doctor first. Yeah, 100%. But, yeah. yeah. There are are side effects to all medications, but omeprazole and lansoprazole in particular, what they're doing is they block the production of stomach acid. Stomach acid is needed to absorb certain vitamins from your food, especially B12. Um, It interferes with calcium absorption. Um, So without B12, you're going to feel like exhausted and really low energy. And without calcium, the long-term effect there could be um, osteoporosis and bone disorders. Um, so like in terms of using something like omeprazole, that's great for short-term relief from your symptoms, but what changes to your dietary intake or your lifestyle are you making so that you'll be able to gradually come off that with the help of your GP in a few months time. You don't want to be on that forever. You don't need to be on that forever. If you're able to work potentially with a nutritionist to help you make some simple dietary changes and lifestyle changes. Um, If you're having symptoms of acid reflux um, or heartburn, often it's, it can be stress related, but just looking at the foods you're eating, looking at like, if you have a very high meat diet, it can be very acidic. So putting in lots of veggies and colorful foods to help alkalize and and balance that. Um, This, my favorite is slippery alum. I don't know if you've ever heard of that. It's a powder. Um, You just put it in water and drink it, but it kind of coats the lining of the stomach. um, So it reduces any irritation you're experiencing from the acid and it's, it's very nourishing as well. Even just soaking chia seeds actually will have a, a similar effect, but like those soothing foods like chia seeds and slippery elm, we can use. And over time, um, working with your healthcare provider, obviously, then you might be able to come away from acid blocking medication. Um, I mean, it's a really common problem. I would say 75% of my clients have some sort of 
um, heart, uh, heartburn or acid reflux. And there's loads, there's loads we can do to, to prevent that from getting worse. And in many cases, it absolutely can get better. Yeah, I, uh, I was, I, 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 on the podcast or just in general, I, I never, it never bothers me to talk about my own health. I think the more we talk about health, the better it is for, for everybody. I was on it uh, for acid reflux because I had a lot of bother with my tonsils and went to the hospital and they, they thought I, well, they, 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 they know I have a post-nasal drip and some acid reflux. So they were, this was attacking my throat from both sides, above and below. And uh, the amoprazole was given to, to try and protect my throat from the way up. And then the, uh, I was on a, a nasal spray to protect it from the way down so that was that that was the reason why what was the thing you said slippery elm yeah it's from the bark of an elm tree um but it comes in powder form and you just add it to smoothies or to food and you would kind of use that say shortly before you're about to eat as a way of coating the lining of the esophagus and the stomach so that then when you do eat you're not getting the same sensation of of acid coming up your food pipe. Um, yeah. yeah, so that's that's one of my favorites, definitely. The other medication I wrote down here, which is the big one, which is obviously unavoidable in a lot of cases, but just to clarify, how bad are antibiotics for our gut health? And I know that if, if we have an infection, in, many, in most cases they can't be avoided, but just as a general bit of knowledge for people, how bad are they for us? I mean, they're not they're not great because they can't differentiate between good and bad bacteria. They're just gonna kill everything. Mm -hmm. um, and like you said, sometimes that's essential and that's life-changing, uh, life-saving. Um, so what you could do is if you if you have to take antibiotics, maybe take a probiotic alongside with it, just at different times of the day. Um, and in many countries, that is the advice to okay. take a probiotic with an antibiotic, just to kind of negate some of the side effects, because also you're more at risk of diarrhea with antibiotics. Um, and research shows that having a probiotic there will help reduce the risk and the severity of diarrhea. It also reduces your risk of being hospitalized due to any side effects, so especially elderly people. Um, so my advice would be like, don't worry. If you need to take them, take them. I would just probably take a probiotic supplement with them. And then I'd probably continue, once you finish the antibiotic, I would continue that probiotic probably for up to a year because again, some of the research shows that it can take up to 12 months for the bacteria to kind of rebalance. That's not always the case, but I mean, I, I had antibiotics in December for a skin infection they were for one week and I did a stool test, a comprehensive stool test um, in March thinking, oh God, it's going to be terrible because I've wiped out everything. And it wasn't so bad. But again, I took steps to try and negate any side effects. So um, just be sensible with them, like, you know. When you said a year there, I fully uh, understand that that's what it could be, but I don't think... Again, I don't think it's in the general understanding that these things, and again, we're not, if you, if you're, if you have a tonsillitis as I suffered from quite badly, or we, it's things that we need to take, I understand that. But as you say, it's brilliant advice to try and counter the negative effects because there might be a, a longer term uh, consequence of, of doing that after you feel, after you feel better. Uh, Okay, fasting. So, I would. So, Ramadan's a bit extreme, obviously, as far as fasting is concerned, because there's no water consumption or uh, the uh, ca caffeine withdrawal for me is the one because I generally I'm addicted to coffee and then don't have any at all when I'm fasting. Not even at night time when I break my fast. So, the first couple of days of fasting. I actually felt as if my head was going to explode. The pain in my head was unreal. But see now that it's nearly a week in, and this is the bit maybe we can discuss, I, my stomach, which I, is, can be up and down. My stomach generally feels 
a lot calmer during the day. Uh, I'm sleeping better. And I'm now starting to get that energy boost back again. And that's the bit that a lot of people can't understand that how can you have energy if you haven't consumed anything? Can you help us maybe unpack that a wee bit? It, it is a strange one. And like you said, many people report that, like even if they go on fasting holidays or retreats, they often report like a renewed energy. Um, and I don't have the answer for that exactly, but I'd imagine if, I suppose if we're not putting in like if we're in the habit of having treats and caffeine and alcohol and whatever else, like if we're removing that, then I guess, you know, you're, you're reducing the burden on your liver. Um, and potentially that's maybe having an effect then on your energy levels. But yeah, it's so hard to know for sure. Um, I think, yeah, I, I I don't have an answer for it, unfortunately. Oh, okay. I, yeah, no, no. I, I would, I would kind of imagine potentially maybe it's because we're not having the same burden on the liver. Your gut as well has an opportunity to do some repair work and some healing because we're not constantly snacking and grazing all day. Yeah. Um, because usually when we're asleep, you know, it's really important tr to try not to eat too close to bedtime because normally when you're asleep, you're your, your body is clearing out a lot of debris from the day and healing stuff. Yep. Um, so maybe when you're prolonged, when you're fasting for a longer period of time, maybe it's that your body is having an opportunity to do more of that. So then yep. you're feeling the benefits of it. I think, I think that's, I think that's what it is. Uh, I mean, the, the Islamic calendar's lunar, so Ramadan changes. So if, if you ever want to try Ramadan, try it when it falls round about Christmas time because you're, it's, it's darker a lot quicker, obviously. Whereas at the moment, because of uh, how long or how bright the days are, it's between 29 and 30 days of up to 19, 20 hours of fasting each day. And I say that's no food and water. But when I get by the first week, it's and again maybe this is that sort of uh, placebo effect I guess or maybe I'm just but it's genuinely the healthiest I feel for the full year and it, I know that for in general understanding that doesn't make sense but but it is after that first week I feel really really healthy. Do you when when you break your fast do you feel you are more mindful then of what you're putting into your body or are you just like oh my god i'm starving give me anything like right i'm so glad you asked that that's what when i've had guests on the show sometimes they'll say things and <laughs> in my head i'm thinking uh that question hasn't been planted because it's the perfect question that you've just asked uh so at no point did I ask. <laughs> Everybody's going to think I did now, but at no point did I ask Mary to ask that. 100% is the answer. Yep, absolutely. The tr tradition would generally, uh, we, we would generally break the fast with dates. And I always wonder about that because there's a, there's a high sugar spike from dates as well. But maybe two or three, we're not talking about a large consumption of them. But just, it's a month where you're definitely more mindful of what you're eating uh, and the the diet that I'm having is very balanced there's lots of fruits and uh, lots of vegetables I don't actually I'm not big on fruits actually but uh, lots and lots of vegetables uh, different meats lots of different colors as well which I know you talk about a lot so it might just be that we're taking out all the caffeine and the the bad stuff not necessarily the good effect but re reducing all the the rubbish that we're we're putting in perhaps perhaps yeah sounds like that's a possibility for sure like you know and it sounds like if you're being more mindful you're making slightly better choices like you said all those colors all those polyphenols like anti-inflammatory foods and you've got you know a nice balance there um probably quite an energizing diet even if it's being consumed at a different time of day yeah. Um, yeah, it's really interesting. Now, having said that, the first thing when Eid comes around and, and Ramadan's finished, the first place I'm going is Starbucks. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
for the change some things like yeah some things are just so ingrained in us aren't they you just yep. need that little that's a, that's your crutch i suppose the, the largest coffee available with extra shots <laughs> and everything <laughs> anyway uh, right back in the room back in the room uh what are the the what are the, the the quick sort of giveaways for people who maybe haven't even considered their gut health that they might be thinking, oh, I feel this way or I feel that way? Or what's the, the warning signs, I guess, is the question for, for bad gut health? Yeah, so definitely anything like excessive bloating, excessive gassiness or gas with a really foul odour, um, bloating, irregular bowel movements, like... A normal healthy bowel movement is two to three log shaped stools daily. For some people that might be slightly less, but we want it to be well formed and a medium brown. We don't want anything that's, you know, diff that kind of is quite different from that. That's often a sign that things are a little bit out of balance. Yeah. So if there's any constipation or loose bowel movements, um it's worth getting it checked um dietary changes will have a, a big impact on that as well um what other symptoms i would say again with the acid like anything like heartburn indigestion acid reflux like a nutritionist can definitely help with that um and what in terms like of fatigue and things like that or, or yeah, that be something yeah. so yeah. low energy um definitely like fatigue um or an at like a slump in the afternoon like after lunch brain fog like just not being able to think clearly no matter how much sleep you've had you're still yawning um or craving for sugar as well you know then that's often a sign that things aren't quite as good as they could be yeah um and like, just start with simple changes as well. You know, if, if you've never heard of fermented foods and probiotic foods sound really out there, just start by, you know, making sure you're getting a variety every week in your diet. So you're not just eating carrots and broccoli for dinner every night, that each week or each day you're choosing a few different foods. So color, different colors. Um, I mean, what else? Um whole grains so if you have white rice think about switching to brown or maybe having sweet potatoes instead of white because there's more fiber in them there's more b vitamins so they're going to be more energizing and they're also that fiber is going to be food for your gut bacteria to break down and digest and support the balance in the gut a bit better um what else Hydration, I suppose, just making sure you're drinking water because that's going to help pass a stool. It's going to keep, you know, waste products moving through the system more efficiently. Um, so like a litre and a half of water a day would be a good yeah. goal. Is that Would that be over and above? I know teas and coffees are diuretics and things, but if someone... I'm a big advocate for telling everybody to drink more water. Says the guy that isn't having it every day for a month, but it's yeah. Uh, usually, the that's obviously over and above other things. I mean, I, your herb, like any herbal teas, would count towards that. Yeah, yeah. Um, and just as a rough guide, like a liter and a half. But yeah, I wouldn't generally count coffees and builders' tea in with that because of the caffeine effect. Yeah. If uh, I've only got a couple of more things uh, to, to chat to you about. The, this kind of leads on, it's the opposite question to the one I just asked, I guess. Obviously seeing someone like yourself, so finding an expert and, and actually working with that person, but can you give us some tips on the best things to just get the ball rolling? If you were to say, and you've kind of just said that, but let's say that the, the top three, make sure you're doing this every day or, or every week. What, what would those be? So, yeah, I, I would definitely, you know, if like I, I would definitely look at the quality of your grains because often carbohydrate gets a terrible rap. It's like, oh, my God, like carbs are so bad. Not all carbs are bad. So the whole grain ones are really energizing and they're so important for mood because the B vitamins in them. So the brown rice, the sweet potato, 
even a brown rice pasta maybe, um, they would be much better than the white equivalent. Yep. I would do that. Um, I would look at the variety of food that you're eating because we're creatures of habit and we tend to buy the same fruit and veg week in, week out. So your gut bacteria thrive on diversity. So the more color and variety you're able to consume, the better. Um, if you do have IPS or digestive problems, just do that quite slowly, maybe do it more gradually. Um, and what else would I do? I would probably say, like make use of things like herbs and spices in your cooking because they're gonna provide a great source of antioxidants and phytonutrients and polyphenols, all things, again, polyphenols um, are something that your gut bacteria absolutely love and they help to mop up inflammation in the gut. Um, that's probably what I would do. And I'm gonna add one more. Yeah, and that, please. <laughs> that's prebiotic foods. And there are things like onion, garlic, leek, banana, oats and a lot of people kind of shy away from garlic and onion because they might have read that they cause gas or they maybe tried a FODMAP diet which you know you're supposed to avoid them temporarily but um they are a bit like fertilizer for your gut bacteria and it's so important to get those in yeah. um so that's onion garlic leek and then things like banana and oats okay What's the, see when you just mentioned the inflammation there, what are the main uh, sort of food drivers behind inflammation? I think yeah. I think lots of people have higher levels of inflammation that maybe don't even realise that they have it. And that's maybe what's causing ongoing health issues. Uh, so what, what sort of foods are really bad for inflammation? So pro-inflammatory foods are, so red meat and dairy come under that category because they produce arachidonic acid in the body. So like if you're having steak and chips every night of the week, that, that would be quite inflammatory because of the, the meat, but also the fat in the chips. But to make that more anti-inflammatory, you could still have some steak, but have a salad with it because the veggies would be alkaline. So you're kind of getting that nice balance there. And maybe you've got a nice olive oil on the dressing, that kind of thing. Um, sugar is also pro-inflammatory. So just keeping sugar and alcohol uh, to a minimum. Um, they're kind of the biggies. And then in terms of anti-inflammatory, yeah. you've got your omega-3, um, flax seeds, chia seeds, nuts and seeds, oily fish. They're kind of more anti-inflammatory. And fruit and veg are kind of the alkaline, the alkaline element to that then as well. Brilliant, brilliant. Uh, one last thing to chat about, and we need to remember at the end because I want to obviously direct everybody to your, your Instagram and your, your website. Uh, the, the BBC programme Laid Bear that you done, you were part of that. Can you tell us a wee bit about that? I, 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 I watched that uh, and just seeing people sort of turning themselves around like that was quite, uh, it, was, it was brilliant to see. So can you tell us a wee bit, because people will probably still be able to find that, I would imagine, on, on the iPlayer maybe or... Uh, Last year seemed, I was going to, it might have been, was it last year that it was out or was it a year? Last year just seems to have disappeared for everyone. I know, I think it might have been the year before. I think last year just doesn't count for anything, does it? It was just no, such a uh, year. No. <laughs> Tell us a wee bit about what that was about and what, what the part that you played in it. So the great thing about the TV show is, you know, all the um, health improvements that these people experienced was just from diet and lifestyle changes. We didn't use supplements and we didn't use medications. Um, so there was a GP and myself who were supporting these individuals who maybe had, some will have had high blood pressure or there's um, uh, type two diabetes or some were overweight, some were underweight, but totally burned out um, yeah. or just, you know, running on caffeine and not really eating properly. So it was just, I suppose, helping these individuals um, 
make better choices and realistic choices that worked with their lifestyle. Um, like one example, one of the contestants was really hung up on like dieting and counting calories and doing all the diets, but still really struggling with her weight. And it was just about helping her to rethink the plate a bit instead of fearing food it was about looking at the balance of foods that will make you feel energized so then your mental state is a, is in a much better place and you'll feel more positive about your yourself and everything else so that was quite um i i kind of feel like that was somebody that a lot of people resonated with yeah probably particularly women but maybe you know both male and female I'd imagine um and what we did in terms of the medical side of things like the doctor like we ran bloods and um heart rate variability and cholesterol and um just all the kind of standard stuff at the start and we ran them again at the end um but just using dietary changes led to changes in their blood markers and their body composition um which is you know quite rewarding and life-changing for many people so um it was great to make people aware that you know you do have some control over your health you can make if these people can do it you can do it um and just you know start start with simple changes basically that's what we did really I think those the programs like that. Uh, so just to say again, Laid Bear, it's available on on the BBC. Was uh, just to see programs like that where you see people being in one place and then, as you say, getting that help. But just, I mean, it, there were drastic changes, I guess, to, to many of those people. But it wasn't out of this world changes. It was just things that every everybody can do, and then to see where they 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 got to. Right, Mary, you've mentioned one thing again. I promise you, this will be the last question and I'll let you go and get on with your day, okay? Uh, cholesterol. And I, I can't believe that I didn't have this in my notes to ask you about. But when you were talking earlier on about carbohydrate getting this sort of bad name, cholesterol also gets a bad name. So they've got your LDL cholesterol, your HDL cholesterol. People think, I think more people are learning now the difference between good and bad cholesterol. But for years, it was just, oh, cholesterol, that's a really bad thing. So uh, can you give us some information on cholesterol, please? So like if you're getting your cholesterol tested, the best way is through your GP because they will be able to do the breakdown and you'll have the good and the bad. If you just have total cholesterol, it's not providing enough information to really work with. Um, I'd also like to say that eggs don't cause high cholesterol. That was bandied about for years. It, that, that, that bit of information was thrown out a few years ago, but it's still circulating. So please don't fear eating eggs. It's not going to influence your, um, or be harmful to your cholesterol levels. Um, what I would say is, you know, fiber is your friend if you struggle with cholesterol because we eliminate cholesterol via the stool. Fiber supports bowel health, and motility so getting that motoring daily is important if you have cholesterol problems um and then good fats also so like um almonds you know nuts and seeds legumes lentils beans like a mediterranean style diet is kind of what you'd be aiming for in order to support healthier cholesterol levels um and just, yeah, you can get it tested probably yearly at least if you are concerned. And um, again, I suppose it's highlighting that you've got options. Um, and I, you know, I think most like from the clients I work with, often the doctor has said, okay, like let's try dietary approaches first, but right. we'll check again in six months. And if things are still, you know, a bit worrying or there's a family history there, then, then it's obviously important to, consider other options as well yeah so glad you said that about eggs as well because i eat a lot of eggs uh, as does my wife uh, both of us but again it's it's just that misinformation isn't it that yeah. things are yeah don't it's, eat also, eggs, so it's, it's just about balance you know you're just just have a couple of eggs 
here and there it's not you're not going to have 10 eggs every day and it's it's just like let's put things in perspective so yeah. um yeah well mary listen that has been uh, just an amazing chat uh i'm so glad that and I, I, I know we've been planning it for a couple of months now but the fact that i got to sit down with you and chat and then we can share this on the podcast has been brilliant before we go, uh, give us a wee shout out again of your website and your Instagram handle and where people can, can follow you, please. So my website is stellarhealth.co.uk. Um, I'm most active on Instagram. So you'll find me at stellar underscore health underscore Mary. I do also have a free Facebook group. It's called the Gut Health Club. So if you are like particularly interested in gut issues, um, have a look at that on Facebook as well. Brilliant. Okay. Well, Mary, I will let you go on with your day. Uh, with huge thanks for coming on. I really, really enjoyed that. Yeah, it was brilliant. Good to chat. Definitely love that. So, listen, thank you, and I, I will let you go on. Okay. See ya. Thank you, Mary. Take care. Much obliged. Thank you. Bye.